Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, joins us this morning. The jury is still out on Fang stocks, winners and losers of 2022. But I thought we'd take a look at Facebook or, or rather Meta today as analysts scrutinize the fall in its market cap and ask if we need to look at the politics behind the possible move. Then we take a look at whether or not current market conditions can be compared to the dot-com era. You know, you know some say it's not not a repeat, but there's a rhyme that people are hearing when it comes to the two. So any parallels between the internet.com bus and what we're seeing in the markets? Also, uh, I think we ask just about every guest that comes on what we should do with our cash in an era where we see inflation rising. So are long-term bonds and cash just about the worst place to park your value? And yesterday you heard our guest, um, I, you know, I asked him about how he was looking out for value companies, what were his metrics, and he mentioned price to book and today we'll ask Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer, what his metrics are for evaluating value companies. Arun, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. All right, good of you to join us. Let's take a look at Meta. So Facebook owner Meta closed with a market cap of below $600 billion this Tuesday, and that was the first time it did so since May 2020. Uh, striking because that $600 billion is actually the number that... White House legislators are picked as a threshold for what they consider a covered platform in a package of competition bills that are aimed at big tech, showing just how challenging it is to craft laws in an effort to rein in big tech. So, you know, if you take a look at what's been happening with Facebook's parent Meta and its slide, the stock down 35% this year, trading at its lowest since July 2020, um, quite, quite an amount in terms of value destruction, roughly equivalent to the entire size of Intel. What do you make of what you've seen with the wipeout in Meta's market cap? And do you think there is some reason to believe that it may have something to do with regulation? Pure speculation, but will the market cap wipeout help it dodge regulators? <laughs> I mean, that, that's an interesting take. But uh, my, my personal views are the $600 billion market cap number will just taken was plucked out of air, right? I mean, there's mm. nothing to say that regulators can just go back and say, okay, let's make this 500 billion now so that we can always ensure that uh, at least Facebook or Meta in this case is going to be included in potentially more robust regulation. But taking a step back, I, th- I think the fundamental issues that have come about, uh, be it on the back of uh, Meta success, or just generally what we are seeing in these technology platforms that have been created across the board, right? Like Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Breaking those down, I think there are like three or four like really big themes that stand out. Okay. First and foremost, if you're a U.S. company, the First Amendment, right? Freedom of speech on the one hand, but on the other side, you have all these hate speeches, inflammatory comments that globally have actually led to like riots and stuff taking place sometimes. And the argument, like, should you protect lies, COVID lies, for example? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, when you come to COVID, that that, to me is a separate category of misinformation. Exactly. So how do you deal with that? Then there's this whole aspect that, that the EU is taking the lead on, which is privacy and individual rights of 
who should be controlling one's digital identity in this internet-led day and era. And last but not the least is the political aspect, right? Obama getting elected first, thanks to probably Facebook, and then Trump getting elected, again, probably thanks to Facebook. <laughs> so you, you have all these like really polarizing views of how should government be involved or regulate technology space, especially platforms or information content platforms like Meta. And I don't think a valuation of a trillion or 600 billion is going to be the determining factor. I think it's a lot more to do with the number of eyeballs or users on the platform. Now, if you look at, in this case, Meta, the fact that, I mean, there are still close to like 3 billion people using some form or shape of the Meta universe's informational platforms like Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook itself, which has not changed, be it the market cap of 600 billion or the market cap of uh, a trillion dollars. I think only if we see that number, you know, drop substantially because more competition comes out, mm. uh, like the likes of TikTok, etc., and the, the power concentration of dissemination of information is not just held in the hands of Mark Zuckerberg, there'll always be this huge issue of regulatory oversight. And I don't think there's any way to go around that. And I think that's, that's one of the big reasons where, I mean, that coupled obviously with uh, the fact that growth has slowed down quite substantially and a lot of capital has been close to $10 billion is being deployed in this whole metaverse concept, which coincidentally enough, Scott Galloway, uh, you know, the famous marketing professor, mm. came out late last night uh, calling this a flaming piece of um, sensor okay. word. <laughs> yeah. So The metaverse, uh, you know, that's what he was referring to? Or? That's what he was, uh, uh-huh. meta, like metaverse, and metaverse specifically related to how meta, uh, meta is pivoting is, towards is pivoting towards oh, I see, like, I see. He, he was like bad mouthing Oculus saying that this is going to potentially be one of the big tech failures in calendar year 2022 oh. and so on and so forth so all of those put together you know are huge headwinds for the stock but if you look at it relatively from a valuation perspective this is a company that's just churning out cash right close to 40 billion dollars of net income last year which leads to a price to earning multiple of close to 15, which is extremely low when you look at you know that compared to pretty much any other relatively high-flying tech stock out there or even uh, traditional businesses for that matter, right? So it's a very interesting uh, confluence of factors currently playing out in meta stock. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's see. That is a very interesting cutting and dicing of Meta, which I still refer to as Facebook. I'm having trouble pivoting, talking about <laughs> Facebook to Meta. Um, potential regulation, Europe saying we don't need you, we were just fine without Facebook. Uh, then the, the, the trouble with the Metaverse, Scott Galloway, you know, no mercy, right? He's called it a consensual hallucination between Mark Zuckerberg and the media and it just won't work. He says, you know, they've been at it since 2016 just won't work. Um, the thing is, you know, are, are investors seemingly losing their confidence in the stock for now? I mean, most definitely. Until and unless this whole, you know, rebranding, he's basically gone, he as in Mark, has mm. gone all in on this metaverse concept, right? This is basically like the do or die for the business. So they can pivot to videos to some extent and, you know, hopefully that can lead eventually to 
clawing back some of the users from TikTok especially. But it, it's really not going to move the needle as much when you're already a $600 billion market cap company, right? So you're kind of being set up at this stage to potentially fail. And when you've gone that big, you really need to make a huge pivot if you want to keep those growth engines still going. I mean, this point about Europe that you mentioned, it's a huge risk, right? Like this whole data transfer from the EU to the US, all these EU, EU regulations coming out against it. It's scary because that suddenly lops off more than a couple of hundred million people, close to a billion people across the entire spectrum. I mean, India, for example, one of the other really large markets, they really clamped down on this end-to-end encryption software in the case of WhatsApp, especially when it's owned by a foreign power. Mm. So, you know, technology is being democratized. There are interesting startups coming all over the place. I mean, Web 3.0, right? This whole concept of decentralization of the internet, not letting three or four large conglomerates control every single aspect of an individual. I think those are huge threats, especially social media, like that entire business model where you get someone into a walled garden and then even if it's quote unquote free, but then you can bombard them with advertisements, et cetera, that entire ecosystem is potentially being disrupted by Web 3.0, of which Metaverse is a part of it to some extent, right? So Mm -hmm. I I think there is no other choice at this point of time. Is it a cash-generating machine? I mean, will Instagram and Facebook continue to, you know, spit out cash for the near foreseeable future? And and will Facebook be able to monetize things like WhatsApp? You know, Meta. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Which we all use, right? That's right. And and you can see that to some extent already, right? I mean, I don't know if you've seen this, but if you're chatting with one of your friends about a certain company Mm -hmm. on WhatsApp, suddenly you'll get ads of those uh, on Instagram. Is that what's happening? I didn't even realize that. So so it's, you know, there's this interesting product that you suddenly are chatting about apparently confidentially with your friends. It's suddenly coming up and as ads. And there's this whole, and, and, you know, don't take me wrong, it's still legally okay because it's not that they know that you specifically are talking about it and the ad is talking to you specifically. There's this whole concept of big data and if that's what's happening, you know, then ads are tailor-made to one's interest. And it's a great business model, don't take me wrong. But it's getting to be a lot more difficult to monetize some aspects of Facebook, as you rightly mentioned, but also where where does, where does the growth engine come from? Like mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook, Facebook especially, I don't know anyone who's like under 30, 35 years old and is still on Facebook, right? Is mm-hmm. that because their grandparents or their parents who got onto Facebook 15, 20 years ago, 15 years ago are still on it? Possibly. Everyone's gone onto new, more innovative uh, eye-catching platform. And, and that's something that's really scary for the company. So they have to pivot. And that's a huge all-in. I mean, $10 billion spend a year is no joke, right? And that's for the foreseeable at least five to 10 years. That's like close to 10% of your market cap at present state. So it's, uh, it's not an easy problem for him to solve. Well said. Let's, let's pivot a little bit to uh, NASDAQ, quite an aggressive slide in 2022. Is it fair to say that there are some parallels between the dot-com bubble, um, 1999-2000, and how the NASDAQ has been performing? I mean, back then there was a focus on tech stocks, which then became so big, they became systemically important to the market. So are there the same systemic risks today as in yesteryear? 
Um, Michelle, I, I think there definitely are some similarities from the aspect of looking at, you know, individual stock names and a, a whole basket of them, right? Like C, Facebook that we talked about, Square, uh, Peloton, like a whole bunch of these tech companies that have dropped anywhere between 35, 40% to maybe like 50, 60%. So a very rapid drop in the share price is something that we are seeing right now in a big correction taking place in the tech space. Similar to the dot-com era, but the big difference I would say is, I think this time around, maybe the underlying valuations of the business were extremely overstretched. I mean, look at Zoom, right? Has it really revolutionized the world? Absolutely. Currently trading at, you know, close to like $50 billion of market cap. It was trading just, you know, four or five months ago at close, at more than three, three and a half times that size. So has there been a big correction? Yes. But has Zoom revolutionized our lives a lot more than cats.com? Absolutely. Right. So this aspect of Hopeful eyeballs coming onto your platform and and thereby monetizing it, which was the story in yesteryear during the NASDAQ era and during the dot-com era or the dot-com bust, I would say, is very different from what's happening right now. I mean, over here, at least I personally feel there is true substance behind all the companies. I mean, technology has revolutionized the world from Salesforce, uh, Zoom on the enterprise side, to the consumer side, Facebook, Instagram, Google, Amazon, pretty much every single ecosystem or industry under the sun has been revolutionized by technology. So should that lead to a lot of investor interest and potentially pumping up the stock valuations more so than the underlying value of the stock? Yes, I think that's kind of fair. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you throw in the Fed being at 0% interest for the past five years, and central banks across the world, and this COVID pandemic that has led to an even quicker digitization process, I think there is something to be said as to why so many people got into tech at extremely frothy valuation. But I think the parallels kind of end over there, wherein this time around, you know, there is true substance. There is not just eyeballs, there's revenue, not just revenue, there's gross profit, not just gross profit, there's also net income. So in every aspect, we've seen these companies being able to truly monetize the end user, be it a corporation or an individual consumer like us. So from that aspect, I think, you know, there are a lot of hidden, there are still like given this correction, I would actually look at it the other way around Mm -hmm. where you know, back in dot com, this whole thing was oh, Amazon was had dropped like ninety five percent plus, and yep. that was one of the best winners to be holding for the last twenty two, twenty three years. I think from that aspect, I mean, nothing is corrected that much in this present uh, route, at least. But I definitely feel that a lot more pockets of value have come into the tech space, even at this level right now. All right. In fact, I put that to our investors uh, yesterday that during the dot-com bust, the Amazon stock was was down by 96%. I think we were discussing, you know, where where do you park your cash when you see such volatility and people um, pulling out, liquidating from the sector uh, in a big way, you know. Um, If you look at institutional investors, they seem to be, 
moving away from the tech sector, I looked at Bank of America's latest survey of global fund managers and it showed that net allocation to the tech sector fell to its lowest level since 2008. So kind of liquidation underway here. And there are questions, of course, as to how much further things could fall. Do you think there is a sort of pervasive negativity here or um, that there is significant more, significantly more downside? I mean, that's, you know, sadly financial markets, right? Where when something is hot, a lot of trend followers, uh, algo traders uh, or algo hedge funds, I should say, sorry, come into the market, prop it all the way up even further. Then when there's a correction, then suddenly everyone immediately steps back and, you know, they run for the hills. And that typically happens time and time again in financial markets, right? It's really important to always take a step back mm-hmm. and see what the underlying value of the business is Mm. and not be that Mm. concerned as to what the price action has occurred in the past three months, six months or a year. I mean, if you look at Facebook, right, Mm -hmm. this is a company that everyone's talking about, obviously. Mm. At $230, give or take, it's kind of just gone back to where we started out in 2021, right? I mean, so the fact that it went up 50% since then, then down 35% after that over the course of a year is not something that you know, investors should keep looking at and trying to trade in and out. It's it's like, you know, thinking of investing as something that you're buying for the long term. I mean, look at if someone owns a house, right? Mm -hmm. Or the place that you live in. Just because a broker keeps coming to you on a daily basis saying, oh, you know, this is up like 0.2% or 0.5% or down 0.5%, it doesn't mean you keep going and selling your house and then buying a new one and then going back and forth. Right. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. So just because, you know, this terminology from Benjamin Graham, like Mr. Market mm. coming up to you saying, oh, I can buy Facebook from you at $350 or I can sell Facebook to you right now at $250. It shouldn't lead you to take action unless, of course, your thesis has changed. Right. So in the case of a house, if you're over leveraged, by all means, you know, potentially sell it, go into a rental property, accumulate your savings once again and then start building that nest egg to have a permanent roof over your head. Similarly, in the case of stocks, you know, as long as you don't over leverage yourself, not looking at that stock market, that daily ticker, every single second and thinking that you can try to monetize this, mm-hmm. it's a fool's errand for anyone other than a person sitting on a bank. And there's no surprise that investment banks or research houses keep coming out with these proposals mm-hmm. or research reports every couple of months sometimes bullish, sometimes bearish, back and forth, back and forth, because the churn is what drives trading fees, which is what drives the end of the year bonus, right? So it, mm. it shouldn't, investing should not be looked at like that. In meantime, billionaire investor Kevin O'Leary says he's buying the dip in Facebook's meta shares after, you know, it dropped 26%. But that's, of course, Kevin O'Leary, which is, you know, he's, he's practically an institutional investor, isn't he? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. That's what the Shark Tank star is planning to do. Let's take a look at, you know, we've been trying to make sense of how people are repositioning their portfolios with risk sentiment, right? Bearing in mind risk sentiment. So, and the question we've been asking is, listen, if inflation is, we're expecting inflation, we're expecting five rate hikes, some people say seven rate hikes, where do we put our money? And it sounds like a seemingly uh, simple question, but actually there's a lot to it. And what we want to ask you is, you know, are long-term bonds and cash pretty much the worst place to park 
you know, what you have in life that you consider valuable if you see inflation on the horizon? In one word, I would say absolutely. <laughs> because cash, right? Banks, even I don't, firstly, I don't think the Fed's going to increase it seven times. I would probably put my money on anywhere between four to five times this year. Okay. That would not lead to banks immediately giving that yield enhancement to depositors like us uh, parking our money in banks, right? Like, I, I just don't see that happening, at least for this calendar year, which immediately means that inflation is going into like anywhere between, you know, three, four percent to like six, eight percent. And you're earning, you know, point two, five percent probably on your savings. You're having this huge tax, right? And, and make no mistake, it is actually a tax, right? Just, just because it's not actually being taken out of your bank account, the fact that everything has become a lot more expensive and the assets that you have deployed or you're saving is not generating enough returns to just compensate for inflation, to me, that's a, that's a tax. Mm. So from that aspect, cash is a very, very difficult place or asset to park your money in. But that immediately le- leads to, you know, then why not deposit or put money or deploy capital into bank stocks? And that's something that I've been long for quite a while because I think that they're going to be one of the big beneficiaries of this interest rate normalizing, of this fiscal monetary policy normalizing. Then we come to bonds. At present levels, I mean, sure, there's been a little bit more volatility in the bond markets. It always starts from, you know, be it treasuries on the extremely conservative side or the more risky, uh, in uh, the risky like grade bonds. Right. From either aspect, we've seen a lot more volatility. And I think one of the scariest things people can do is just looking at that headline interest rate, trying to go for, you know, getting a 5% coupon or 7% coupon, but taking a lot of additional risk on the underlying credit name of the, you know, the underlying business. Because there's a reason why the, the underlying bond is providing such a higher yield because there's a lot more credit risk. And when, you know, the market's correcting, when the economy is potentially slowing down a bit, it's these over-leveraged companies that are going to be the first ones to go under. And that is when, you know, you could be suffering from a huge haircut, i.e. price drop in these bonds. So I think both of those areas, be it cash or bonds, is something that you should be very, very carefully looked at by an investor before deploying their capital. Excellent. We've got a fourth topic to cover with Arun, which I'm going to save for the next time he's on air with us because I think it's so important. How do you look for value stocks? You know, the criterion there. And I want to make sure that we have sufficient time for it and we're coming up against a heartbreak for the news. So Arun, we're going to leave it here. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you as always for having me, Michelle. He's Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. This is Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.